This episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western is the leading provider of venture debt and banking services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors. And this episode of TFR is brought to you by Brex. Designed specifically for venture-backed startups, Brex is the perfect corporate card for fast-growing companies. Head to brex.com and sign up with the promo TFR to get waived card fees for life. Welcome to the podcast about investing in startups, where existing investors can learn how to get the best deal possible. And those that have never before invested in startups can learn the keys to success from the venture experts. Your host is Nick Moran, and this is The Full Ratchet. Welcome back to TFR for an interview with the leader of the distinctive Signal Fire Ventures. Chris Farmer joins us from San Francisco to discuss the details of their data engine, Beacon, and the firm's original approach to sourcing, analyzing, and investing in startups. On this episode, we'll cover SignalFire's thesis, the four major founder pain points, their one-of-a-kind data platform, Beacon, and how it drives value, if the engine is a sourcing or analysis tool, an example of what it reveals at the sector, subsector, or even company level how it works when they're pulling data from a range of sources in different formats, how they think about data elements that can't be impacted versus those that can. And finally, if a generalist broad sector approach is realistic with a data-centric investment philosophy. Chris is really one of the unique minds using a somewhat mysterious yet fresh approach to venture capital. I hope you enjoy part one of the interview. Here it is with Chris Farmer of Signal Fire Ventures. CEO and founder of Signal Fire, Chris Farmer, joins us today from San Francisco. Chris was a vice president at Bessemer and a venture partner at General Catalyst before founding Signal Fire, a seed stage VC. And his firm has been described as a complete redesign of the modern venture firm, where they've developed a centralized infrastructure to help with recruiting, BD, customer acquisition, and events. Chris, I'm excited to pull back the curtain and hear more about the approach. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you've got quite a background working in tech companies as a consultant, running a talent agency, leading deals for some of the best firms in the Valley. Uh, Can you walk us through your history and how that led you to venture? Yeah, so I've been focused on venture basically my entire career. I uh, grew up overseas and then um, moved out to Northern California in the mid-80s. I went to school at Tufts in the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy and uh, was very interested in international. And so I got sort of fascinated with this thing called the Internet that was connecting people all over the world and allowing them to do business. And so I wrote my my college thesis on Internet marketplaces. And and in that process, um, I had been a serial entrepreneur growing up, uh, but in that process discovered venture capital and sort of found it as the sort of perfect intersection of of investing, which I was passionate about, and entrepreneurship, and uh, basically never looked back. So my career has sort of wound around a number of different areas, but uh, has probably been primarily been focused on uh, venture capital, running companies, and building you know various types of organizations specifically designed around you know helping founders build great early stage companies. So uh, that's. Uh, and that has led me through Bessemer Venture Partners, uh, where I was for a number of years, uh, and then General Catalyst, where I launched the seed fund and the California office for the firm. Uh, 
uh, with a couple other partners. And, uh, and then finally to, to signal fire one side sort of refined our own unique model. Um, we, uh, decided to launch it full time in a dedicated way. Yeah. So, so what was the motivation to launch signal fire and sort of what's the, the focus area? Yeah. So, you know, when I, when I looked at venture, uh, basically almost every major fund was organized like a money management firm. Uh, I had a number of partners that came together on Mondays and would all sit around the table and talk about deals, you know, have companies present, et cetera. Then they'd run to the four winds and just sort of, you know, meet with companies, go to board meetings, et cetera, the other four days of the week, and then circle back on Mondays again. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it was very much like a team sport in the sense of tennis, where, you, you know, you were individual players and you sort of tally up the score at the end of the day to see whether you'd won the tournament or not. And, you know, coming from an entrepreneurial background, I was always interested in, in being more of a team player. Um, and, and that approach. So I, I often tell, you know, folks that, that, that we play soccer when most of the rest of the venture industry plays tennis <laughs> and, uh, and we're just constantly passing back and forth. So it's not a single point of contact with the company. It's more, a, you know, a, a whole team approach. Um, and wow. by that, you know, to me, it doesn't make any sense to have, you know, a general partner who's, you know, a senior investor be sort of the only support infrastructure around a company. And so we've, you know, a lot of firms have a little bit of recruiting or whatnot um, in their portfolio support. And it's become more in vogue since Andreessen Horowitz, frankly, forced the whole industry's hand. Um, but, you know, we believed in that from, from even before Andreessen existed and um, have have a number of dedicated people in, in, in lots of different functions. So uh, I certainly don't try to be the only touch point with companies we have data scientists that deploy to our companies to help them on, you know, engineering and talent agency in house where, you know, we'll do full blown recruiting, not just routing to other search firms. Uh, we build systems to support our companies, et cetera. And so what we really try to do is build a systematic approach that uh, allows us to offer a higher level of support for companies from sort of inception all the way to the public markets. And, uh, that's really hard to do on a seed fund. Uh, needless to say, management fee is, is, is quite low for these small funds, which is why it's not that other, other investors don't have similar intentions, but you know, they, they, they work off a model where, you know, their, their primary revenue source is management fee. And so as a result of that, they, they, they don't have a lot of infrastructure. Uh, it's usually two, two guys and a dog, um, that, you know, at the seed stage. Um, and there's only a handful of firms that have scaled beyond that. Uh, from our perspective, we take a hybrid approach. We, you know, we have an engineering systems driven sort of approach to, to what we do and actually have a hybrid model where we end up advising a lot of later stage investors, particularly in the public markets like the Fidelities of the world, um, as well as a uh, number of corporate, you know, Fortune 100. So about 25 of the Fortune 100 have been clients over the last few years trying to understand the startup landscape and whatnot. So we take the massive amounts of data that we collect with the systems and use that proprietarily for our own venture activity and then also use it to help paint the landscape for, for other constituents that are non-competitive with us that help to amortize the, the heavy expense of building up all this infrastructure. So it's a, it's a totally new approach to venture that's much more of a sort of an operating company type approach than the traditional sort of money management structure of most VC funds. Interesting. And I do want to get into the system and the model, but if we were to to start out at a higher level, you know, you've talked about sort of the four big founder pain points that you've observed in the past. 
Yeah. Um, can you start out with those? What are those four major pain points and um, what are you doing to address them? Yeah. So I'm not sure which, which four specifically you're referring to, but, uh, or what I, that I referred to in the past, but the single biggest pain point of entrepreneurs is typically, you know, building that, that early team and or scaling their engineering team in particular over time. Um, it's the lifeblood of every company is, is building that team. So it's something that we've put a tremendous amount of energy, time and money into to be best in class, um, and uh, separate from everyone else. Um, in what we can do in that capability. Um, so that's that's something that's been a primary focus of the firm um, and even preceding attempts at this uh, over the last 15, 20 years for me. So just the, the talent piece is, is paramount. Uh, beyond that, like getting those early customers, getting those early channel partnerships is another key area. Um, and so, you know, we have two full-time market development partners on the team um, that have, you know, just fantastic relationships. Uh, one of my partners, Eugene Chung ran, uh, consumer market development for Andreessen Horowitz for five years. Um, and so developed hundreds of, of corporate relationships. And, and then another one of our partners, Nick Saharius on the other side, um, has been more focused on the enterprise side of things and, and ran sales and marketing for a Kleiner and Sequoia back company back in the day. And then has just built a huge network of corporate relationships on the enterprise side. And so between the two of them, and the extended network of, of people we have around the organization, we have very deep and broad ties around the industry. Um, that there could be a huge asset for portfolio companies to sort of escalate to the VP level when they're trying to close a deal or to, to really, you know, sort of help to, to navigate corporate partnerships and whatnot. Um, beyond that, uh, you know, the key areas are, is that sort of tactical expert advice. As I tell founders, we can, we can give, uh, I can give B plus advice in most topics, having been around the block for a long time on the venture side, but I'd much rather get them the sort of canonical expert in whatever the area, whether it's pricing, growth hacking, you know, certain technical uh, domain or, or whatnot. Um, we have a network of over 50 advisors around the firm that are, you know, investors in the firm, in the fund, they're part owners here, they're equity partners, they're much more deeply integrated from a systems level through events and whatnot. And, uh, you know, they're available on demand to our portfolio companies. And we often bring them in as co-investors, um, you know, uh, alongside us uh, to really sort of focus their attention on particular companies of relevance. So, you know, we, we, we try really hard to, to sort of build the, the network around each company uh, uh, so that they have all the resources um, beyond what the, the founders could, could muster on their own that they need to sort of succeed. And then finally, you know, we use the system, the same sort of stuff we use to advise other folks on what's going on in the startup landscape. We can use for all sorts of competitive benchmarking and intelligence for our companies to really understand where they truly sit relative to their peer group. Um, and so it's really easy to drink the Kool-Aid in the Valley and, and it, it's a, it's a wonderful thing at, at some levels and a dangerous thing at others. And so we try to, to, to always have that context, um, and be sober about, you know, how much traction we truly have, how, how much better we really are than the, than the competition as a portfolio company, um, and, uh, and help the founder to, to really take their game to the next level. So we, we do this under a, a bunch of different dimensions. Gotcha. And I, I want to talk a little bit more about the data piece. Um, so I keep, you know, reading about and hearing about this, this data engine and this data platform that you guys have created called Beacon, um, and how it's, essentially sort of a Bloomberg, it looks like a Bloomberg terminal for sort of the startup industry. 
you're collecting a, a vast array of data from mm-hmm. from many different sources and then using it to help drive insights and decisions. Can can you tell us more about what Beacon does and and how it provides value? Sure. Um, we don't go into too much detail on specific data sources or approaches that we take, but at a high level, it's something that I've been building for the last seven years. We have a full-blown engineering team of world-class data scientists, you know, various PhDs in particle physics and natural language processing and whatnot, and a team you know, with heavy backgrounds from places like Google and Yahoo, Facebook, et cetera, have built a lot of the sort of core infrastructure, particularly in, in search and unstructured data. And we use that to, to track a little over 6 million companies um, or even pre-company in, in some cases. Uh, and we're, what we're looking at is the same sort of KPIs, key performance indicators that you would look at if you were the management team of that company and, and trying to, to dashboard your business. And that can be everything from you know, team construction and quality to uh, consumer or customer behavior around your platform. How often are they using it? How, how long are they staying on it? Where are they spending money? Do they come back? What's the lifetime value of that customer? Um, that type of thing. And so we do everything from, you know, consumer transactions to app store to team to myriad other, other things, financial, financial flows, the quality of those flows and, uh, and much more, you know, news sentiment around companies, et cetera. And so, you know, we, and we pull together these millions of different data sources that we pull from and into sort of a structured stream so that when you look up a company, you get sort of as comprehensive a view as 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 is possible. Uh, at least that we've been able to figure out uh, the the information around that company, so that you know when you're looking at an opportunity, you have context on the peer group, and you have a lot of the sort of you know sort of underlying data and infrastructure that allows you to sort of have some context on that company, and then over time have context on your your peer group um, once your investors in the company. So, so is it a, a sourcing and an analysis tool that helps show you where to focus, or is it is it more after you've already identified an opportunity, you can plug it into the system and see a profile that has a variety of different data points that that give you a sense for where where the business is at? So it's all those things and quite a bit more actually. So um, certainly it, it it has a sourcing element to it, but no founder cares you know, what algorithm you use to uncover that there may be an opportunity somewhere. Um, everyone else that they're talking to somehow found them as well. And so they could, they really couldn't care less how you did it. Uh, it may be <laughs> cool and novel, but what they really care about is what can you do to help me take my game to the next level and how can you support me in building a great business? And so a huge part of the emphasis is on that. Um, we've actually built a full SaaS recruiting platform with like Chrome plugins and browser extensions integration and applicant tracking systems to sort of extend the the data and the network that we've built out to the sort of the the edges of the of the, of the ecosystem, um, specifically to our portfolio companies and to our advisors. So in some ways, we look a little more like Uber than we look like uh, Bloomberg in that sense that we there's a there's a driver app, there's a, a passenger app, and then there's this sort of central system. And so for in our case, there's the advisor variation, there's the portfolio founder um, version, and then there's the central system. And so um, we're really tech enabling the entire value chain of a venture fund end to end. And it starts with sorting, sourcing, but also includes monitoring, context, diligence, syndication, uh, and most importantly, portfolio support. Can you give us an example of what you would see if you 
we're looking at maybe a profile of a sector, a subsector, or maybe even you know down to the to the company level. Yeah, so we actually pulled together heavy market maps where you know Excel is one of the firms that coined this term, sort of the prepared mind. Uh, certainly, how I was trained at Bessemer Venture Partners and a, a number of the top firms, you know, they have deep perspectives on individual markets. Our approach here is to to do heavy research in the existing domains that you know of, and so in that case. You know, if you're looking at autonomous driving cars or various you know, areas of AI or fintech or consumer transactional businesses or, or SaaS or whatever it is, we have deep maps on all of those areas, starting with the sort of macro thing that wouldn't necessarily be in the platform, like what are the, the secular headwinds or tailwinds in a given sector, you know, the shift, the migration from you know, the automotive industry today to autonomous driving cars and, and how real are those technology, what components are there. Who's likely to win and lose in that equation and where are the sort of profit pools likely to accumulate? And so we, we, we come up with our own perspective on that based on sort of primary research and, and as well as by the platform. And then we go out to the network of advisors and corporate partners and, and, and whatnot and really sort of dive deeper and refine our perspective. Um, and then as we meet companies, we, we always sort of you know, evolve our perspective and map. Um, and, and these are sort of live documents that are sort of constantly – you know, learning and, and improving as over time and then, you know, start with sort of maybe a more of a bullish case. And as an industry sector matures, they'll be sort of phased out as an investment theme that we'd consider. But I think the benefit of that is, you know, one, there's a, a fair amount of tech enablement in the way that we approach it. So it's much deeper and broader than you'd be able to manually do. Two, we use this sort of extended network of, of corporate and uh, partners and advisors in order to sort of refine our perspective but from a founder's perspective, you know, we're not, you know, sort of reading the same articles as everyone else and just sort of chasing the hot trend of the day. We're, we're basing our perspective in, in a much, you know, sort of deeper research driven approach, which hopefully will help to, you know, help us sort of be a, a good sparring partner with an advisor as they think through uh, a sector um, and really help them refine their thinking, uh, but also grounds us so that we have our some of the Silicon Valley groupthink that you tend to find from, you know, all the VCs talking to one another about the same topic, um, you tend to get a little bit more of a consensus view. And this allows us to, to really have our own unique perspective on markets and where the timing is and what and how, how bullish we really are. So you'll often find that a lot of the in vogue sectors we're not as bullish on. And we, we do a lot of investing in areas that that are not as common uh, for other funds. Got it. So you can zoom out to very broad sector levels and, and zoom all the way down to, to very discrete levels as well, all the way down to individual companies that have their own uh, data elements that indicate to you if it's something interesting and, and worth taking a deeper dive in? That's correct. Got it. And I, I've noticed you guys invest at the seed stage and I've looked at the portfolio. It's you know very impressive, but does data really exist with a lot of these early stage startups and also in nascent sectors, you know, things that have not emerged quite yet. Like, can you really get the data that's required to, to help drive decisions? So I would say definitely yes. That was a, a huge question. We got a lot with Fund One. Um, and, and so, and more recently, I think, you know, our respective investors, our limited partners have gotten much more comfortable and, and much more conviction. And that is definitely the case. So to give you an example, you know, we invest in a company called Zoom Pizza that has a robotic assembly line uh, where they produce pizzas um, at volume, partially bake them, and then have a network of, of vehicles that they use for delivery 
and with the trucks with 56 micro ovens and them all synchronized to the delivery. So they sort of are pushing that, the, the, the cooking process and, and doing it concurrently uh, to the edges of the network um, so that you can get, you know, better pizza, faster, healthier, et cetera, because you're not sort of cooking in a central kitchen with a lot of human labor and then uh, having a driver, you know, pick up the pizza, stick in the box for 45 minutes. It's the cooking of the pizza is synchronized precisely to the delivery time. So that it's not too hot to burn your mouth, but not, you know, as effectively molten and, and very fresh as if it just come out of the, the oven of the pizzeria. Um, and so, you know, that didn't exist before. So there was no data. This was an idea and a PowerPoint uh, when we invested. But there was a ton of data on Domino's Pizza and on what the market looked like on the on-demand food sector and, and where there was product market fit there. And what were the challenges of the on-demand food sector from a sort of contribution or gross margin perspective? Um, and so some of that is in the data that we have, and some of that is just the intelligence that we have from a number of our investors and advisors and, and, and corporate partners being very interested in the on-demand food sector. And so, you know, we were generally very bearish on a lot of the existing incumbents there of the new generation of startups. Um, but we were very bullish on Zoom Pizza because you start with 80% margins uh, instead of, say, 10 15% that you'd find for, you know, folks that are working with the local restaurant networks. So there wasn't any company per se on the data, it's, uh, data on the company itself, but there was a ton of context that was hugely valuable for us to get conviction about the opportunity. And it was hugely valuable to the entrepreneur to have the context of how their peer group was doing, um, both from uh, the startup world as well as the industry incumbents. So that's, that's very commonly a use case of, of data in the platform. Um, you know, the, you know, most, most things are not completely novel where there's never been any variation of, of what they do, um, though they are usually an interesting twist or an evolution or even a revolution of what's been done previously. Uh, but, you know, sort of history tends to rhyme. And so the, the, the data can give a lot of context on, on uh, the, the ecosystem in which a, a company is, is, uh, is pursuing. Um, and that said, you know, while we're a seed stage fund, we, we, we have... Uh, more than just a seed stage vehicle, I won't get into the details of that, but we have the ability to do later stage investing as well. And so we invest up and down the stack, but our, our primary focus is on sort of seed and series A stage investments or what we call the breakout stage, which is sort of post-product market fit, that inflection point where companies are really starting to take off and are now entering sort of hyper growth. And so we have a lot of resources aligned with sort of that you know, part of the life cycle as well. So we can, we, we're, we're more full spectrum than, than most people realize. Um, but our, but our primary point of entry is, is, uh, of investment is getting involved. We'd like to get involved really early and help build that sort of foundational team, really help the company sort of come out of the gates in the right way. And then work closely with the sort of series A investors, the, you know, the classic Greylock Sequoia's benchmarks of the world. And then we'll often continue to invest or participate. And even sometimes, enter, you know, for the first time uh, into an opportunity at, at that later stage uh, range as well. And so we're, we're a little bit barbelled in that sense where we're primarily seed and, and small series A, um, but then we also have the capacity to do later stage investing as well. Got it. And uh, I, I don't want you to give away the secret sauce here, but are these public sources? Are you scraping data? I mean, how are you coming by um, sort of this, all the information that drives the engine? Um, you know, it's, it's a mix of, of millions of different sources. And so some of it is data that we buy. Uh, some of it is data that we collect ourselves. 
uh, from the public domain. It, you know, it's it's uh, you have to be very creative about these things. We start very first principles. Uh, we don't throw a bunch of data in the stew and say, oh, what does it tell us? What correlations are out there? We, we start from first principles and say, okay, if I were running this company, what would I be focused on? Okay, now does that data exist in some way, shape, or form for me to triangulate or answer that, that question? Um, and and you, you'd be surprised at how often it is possible to do that if you have the right team, if you know where to look. And, uh, and that's very much the way that we start is, you know, what do I care about? What do we think are the key drivers of success? Then we go collect that data and, and prove or disprove our thesis from that point. Got it. So Chris, I've, I've worked for companies that had a difficult time getting one database to talk to another. <laughs> um, can you really source unstructured data from limitless sources and structure it in a way that's streamlined, uniform, single record, and can really be used to, to drive insights? That was the that was the core learning for me from my early attempts at doing this. As I approached this originally as a data science problem, um, and that was a total fail. You, this is you know you're dealing with unstructured data. The answer is yes. It takes a tremendous amount of work. That's where ninety ninety five percent of the work is is taking those unstructured data sources, individually structure them to high degrees of accuracy, cleansing the data, data munging, and it's just all this data janitorial work. Building pipelines that self-heal as you know formats on web pages change, and you know, and, and all of that infrastructure that, frankly, has been built by folks like Google, um, but you know, is not is a is a much deeper problem than you know, sort of the data issues at, a, at like a Facebook or, or you know, or some of the social networks because they're dealing in relatively structured data. It may be user generated, and so it may have its own flaws, but. Um, you know, but it's but they're dealing with much more much more structured data. Whereas, like the Googles of the world, you know, are out crawling the entirety of the public web um, and then bringing that back in a structured format. And so we do something that's much more similar to that, except for we really constrain the domain um, and the, and the and the sources that we pursue and spend a lot more time and energy cleaning and processing those those sources individually before we then combine them. Um, into sort of what you see on the front end. And so it, that that's really what makes this so hard, frankly, much harder than uh, I would have ever guessed. And it's why you need, you know, we spend probably north of $10 million a year on the platform, all in. And, and so it's a very non-trivial exercise to get to this level of precision, this level of structure um, from what is inherently very messy data to start with. And it's a combination uh, you know, you know of, of many different techniques that are used to do this, but it is possible. It's been done in a number of different domains, but it helps a lot to constrain to, you know, certain types of technology startups and not the entire world. So it's a, it's not nearly as ambitious a, a, a solution of what Google has done, <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, it is a, it is a mini, mini version of Google in a very constrained domain uh, around a very specific set of actors and, uh, you know, asking very specific questions as opposed to just sort of throwing the data in the stew. Do you think about data that's empirical and, and fixed versus data points that can be influenced? And if you find like a strong startup profile that's missing a couple key elements that, that can be influenced, will you engage in an attempt to, you know, help the founder address those factors? I mean, I think almost always, it, you know, every company is a work in process. Sure. And as soon as you, as soon as you, you know, 
fill in the holes that you have within an organization if it's a if it's a hyper growth company uh, or or even not um very quickly you outgrow whatever solutions you you made and now you may need to recruit different management team you may need to you know look at the go to market on the sales side you know the organic will, will no longer scale you now need to go to sort of paid acquisition or whatnot so all of these things are evolutions and then most of the sort of iconic companies obviously like Amazon or Apple being in the extreme of this are constantly reinventing themselves uh, with new product lines, new extensions or complete you know sort of restarts of the of the companies in midair if you take like an Intel or you know an Opsware or some of these companies and what they've done. So um, yeah, for sure I mean there's you're never done. Uh, you're always building on on what on the foundation that you already have. What we try to do is make sure that that foundation from day one is the strongest that it can be, that you build the right culture, that you have the right partnerships, that you have the best team possible, and all those things make the, the rest of the evolution much, much easier if you, if you build it right from the ground up, um, which is one of the reasons, frankly, we like to get involved super early. It's because we're able to bring an ounce of preventative medicine to a company rather than sort of try to retrofit an upgrade in team or, you know, a new channel partner or whatever it may be at the later stage, it's, it's easier to work in supporting that founder in augmenting their own networking capabilities from day one to bring the absolute best people to the table in, in all dimensions of a company from the start. So Chris, I've, I've looked over the, the sector list of consumer and enterprise areas where you invest and, and it's a broad list. Um, yeah. so, you know, I'm curious, can you have, a data platform and engine that that works well for such a varied and broad landscape. Um, so yeah, it's. I mean, that's definitely part of the challenge. You know, the the sort of factors that influence um, success in you know a storage company versus a social network are radically different. <laughs> you know, <laughs> one has an app and is ad supported, and the other doesn't have an app and obviously has a totally different. Um, and then obviously there's myriad companies in between. Um, so you have to solve for each of those individually. Um, and I would say there are some commonalities across all of those types of companies. And then there's many dimensions, uh, many more dimensions that are different. And so we, we do constrain, you know, we're mostly focused on the application layer. We do, we're very deep technically ourselves. And so we will do some of the infrastructure layer. You know, there is some common threads to the types of things we do. If I had to take a single sort of cut on it, it would tend to be, you know, novel uses of data to better solve an existing problem, either vertically in a sort of full stack approach where you're doing everything end to end and you are your own customer and you're building the infrastructure for, you know, to solve your own issue. So that might be an Airbnb or an Uber or a Zoom pizza um, or, you know, those types of companies that are they're building the entire stack um, for their end customer. Or it may be horizontal where you're doing something like security or, or payments or whatever it is. Um, that applies to, to myriad different customer types like a Stripe or, or a Square or something like that. Um, and so, you know, we'll do both. But I'd say the, the common thread tends to be um, the heavy use of technology and data to sort of reinvent the way that a process is done today. So it's not just, doesn't, tend to, doesn't just tend to be like sort of SaaS. It tends to be smart SaaS that's sort of data-enabled SaaS. Or it tends to be not just a sort of consumer, you know, e-commerce experience. It's something that has a heavy, heavy use of data like personalization or 
or or prediction uh, or you know forecasting you know you know demand those types of things where where you're you really using some intelligence there it obviously plays to our own strengths and what we're doing internally we are we are sort of meta in that we are our own AI sort of driven venture fund investing in AI companies that in their own respective industries so um, you know there there is an, an element of that but you know we do have to be careful to pick our battles and it's one of the reasons why it's hybrid. Uh, sort of human intelligence and and primary research, traditional like like a traditional venture firm would do, mixed with much more data enablement, uh, much more real time monitoring, to to know what's going on at the individual company level at a much more uh, micro and granular level than you'd be able to do manually. This is probably an oversimplification, but are you using sensitivity and regression analyses to to figure out the the factors in in certain sectors that matter most versus others yeah we do we, we go much deeper than that i mean we're we're pretty heavily into what you beyond what you could do uh, <laughs> yeah. you know as a human um sure. and, and and moving heavily into like deep machine learning types of approaches on this and massive statistical um uh, studies that we can do as a result of the, the scale at which we're operating and the feedback loops are you know in the millions of of companies and the trillions of data points um uh, and so, you know, it's impossible to even approach this scale, even within orders of magnitude, um, on a manual basis. So this is this is 100% machine learned, 100% sort of AI, and zero hand input data. Though obviously, there's a lot of human perspective, and a lot of what questions you answer, and a lot of, you know, sort of anecdotal monitoring to make sure that the the data is synchronized and, and accurate. But uh, that's the that's the real challenge and art to what we do. Got it. So yesterday I was meeting with a, a former LP at Horsley Bridge, and uh, I know that you know they were an original investor in the fund, and I asked yes. him if he had any questions for you. And uh, his question <laughs> was, Chris, why is the best way to monetize your extremely impressive platform uh, via venture capital and a venture capital fund and not some other use? Hope you enjoyed part one with Chris. On part two, we'll cover why he's using the tool for VC when there are numerous other applications that may have more economic value, how he's created an engaged active advisor network that are also LPs in the fund, what characteristics the best advisors share, Chris's thoughts on the surge in micro VCs and how that has impacted the asset class. And I also asked Chris for his advice for founders that are raising capital. Thanks so much for joining me for part one of the interview, and please tune in next week for part two. And know that we have some special things in store for TFR coming up. More news on that in the next couple episodes. Okay, thanks for joining me, and always remember to over-prepare, choose carefully, and invest confidently. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 